You might be right. It's simple, but something you almost never hear in politics today, with each side more concerned about scoring political points than solving problems. I'm Bill Haslam, a Republican. And I'm Phil Bredesen, a Democrat. We're former Tennessee governors, and we invite you to listen to our podcast, You Might Be Right. Join us and guests like Al Gore, Paul Ryan, Judy Woodruff, as we take on important issues facing our country. Listen and subscribe to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee. Addiction plays hardball. He would hit me with these verbal attacks. I just said to him, I love you so much. You're such an amazing person. I can't take this ride anymore. It was the fact that dad made that sentiment and broke down. And years later, he told me it had a huge impact on him. Sometimes doing what's right for your loved one is the hardest thing to do. Karen is that right thing. Visit caron.org slash lost. First degree. First degree. First degree. First degree. First degree. The first degree. These things are supposed to happen in movies, not in real life. What I can remember is that she asked me if I had ever done anything that was so bad that you can't forgive yourself. And I was like, you know, I've stolen something or whatever the case is. She's like, no, I mean something that you can't, you, you can't live with. I didn't know what she meant. I was seven, I was 17. Like, what, what do you mean? Welcome to The First Degree, the true crime podcast that you might end up on. My name is Jack Vanek. I'm sitting far away from Alexis Linkletter and Billy Jensen. And this is part two of a three-part story. So if you haven't listened to last week's episode, you need to go back. You need to listen to part one of the Dana Laskowski case first. And also, if you're a binger and you want to listen to all this at one time, then you're going to just need to one need to wait one more week until you really get to binge this case. But we're going to jump right into it, but we have to know what day it is first, Billy. Today is March 10th, and it is International Day of Awesomeness. <laughs> oh, that resonates because I watched something awesome last night on Discovery Plus, and it was called Unraveled Long Island Serial Killer. Whoa. Oh, that was I, smooth. <laughs> you know what? It was an, another opportunity that I totally missed to shout you guys out. I'm so sorry. <laughs> and I, I thought about it right before we started recording, and then I forgot again. I haven't seen it yet. You can't say if it's good. At this point, no one's seen it yet but me and Billy. So so you don't have to lie and say it's good until you actually see it. We can talk about it next week. I wasn't going to lie and say it's good. I was just going to shout you out, and I forgot. But everybody who has seen it, tell your friends and post on all of your social media platforms. It's also, by the way, Mario Day. Mario? Mario. 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 Jesus, what? And me and Alexis were on Access Hollywood hosted by Mario Lopez. Mario Lopez. So there's another (laughs) talking about Unraveled Long Island Serial Killer. Did that air already? (laughs) I think it airs in two days. Yeah. Wait, how was that interview? Hey, Mario Lopez. Um, It was great. It was wonderful. Did he, does he care about true crime? Did he seem interested at all? He seems like the type of person who would really like true crime. It's hard to read. Like, <laughs> okay. It's hard to read what his actual, like, someone like him, it's hard to read what his actual interests are. You know, like, yes. He's got, oh, yeah. He's well, interested he's in every Seacrest. He's interested yes. in everything Except he talks for, yes. about. Right. So who knows he, his true loves? Yes. He's hard to, <laughs> it's just a stone, it's just a stone face. You just don't mm-hmm. know what's, what's hiding underneath. No, it's just universal interest. And then you can't trust it. Cause it's like, I, I'm the same way. I'm a friendly person. I like, I'm interested in everyone, but I'm not really. Did you, <laughs> I mean, were you excited just for, cause I've never been interviewed by Mario Lopez. <laughs> were you just excited? I mean, maybe I would have been for lady gang TV. I was thinking about it, but I, I've never met him or had him on the podcast or anything. Um, does it excite you in a saved by the bell reminiscent nostalgia way? I do love saved by the bell. 
Yes, and I will say that the, the because he worked at Extra and Crime Watch Daily was run by the same people as Extra, so we were in the same office building and we had we were always at the Christmas parties together. He was very very fun at Christmas parties. Oh, so and he last liked- time last time we were dancing to this like yacht rock band, and he bought one of the captain's hats and was it was it was a surreal experience. But yeah, he's oh. a cool guy. Okay, I like I like somebody that likes to have a good time. Name Dropper Jensen in the house. <laughs> Name Dropper Jensen. We were literally talking about the guy. Mm-hmm. I honestly, mm-hmm. I was Googling something else while he was talking. I don't even know what the story was, but you know, <laughs> I, I'm sure it was great. <laughs> well, I think that's our cue for that being enough of that. Uh, yes. Alexis, I was going to get there. You know what? That's enough of that. <laughs> so let's turn down the lights. And turn up your anxiety. Because this could be you. When we left you last week, we were searching for suspects in the murder of 36-year-old Dana Laskowski, who was found strangled to death on August 31st of 2001. Dana was found dead in her Puyallup home, her body left in a strange position, and the M.E. remarked that her killer was likely extremely strong. At the scene, there was scant evidence, and during the preliminary investigation, the police spoke with obvious usual suspects, her husband Stan, a man named Patrick, who was pursuing Dana relentlessly, stalking her, according to Dana. Police also spoke with Dana's Canadian boyfriend, Mike. But then a conversation police had with Dana's best friend, Shauna, changed the trajectory of their investigation. It was during Shauna's interview that a bomb was dropped on this case. Because it turns out that six weeks prior to the murder, Dana had cheated on her boyfriend, Mike. I know this is big. And trust me, this isn't even the explosive part. This is. Dana had actually cheated with a man named John, who was her boyfriend, Mike's best friend. When Dana told Shauna about this encounter with John, the last thing she said was that Mike would lose it if he found out, followed by, quote, if I end up dead, you know who did it. Okay, before we get too in the weeds with this John and Mike affair business, we want to remind you of a few things first. You met our first degree Ian last week, and due to the fact that the story required a great deal of setup, you didn't get to hear from him much, but I promise that will change. All right. So the thinking here is that this love triangle with Dana and these two best friends could be linked to her murder. So we're going to recall some of the hypotheses about this case that investigators made based on some of the early observation of Dana and the crime scene itself. Okay. So Dana was killed as a result of strangulation. And this is a very intimate way to take somebody's life. So based on this, police deduced that the person who killed Dana was somebody that was close to her. The police also believed that Dana's murder was a crime of passion. And this was based on the fact that the killer passed a block of knives in Dana's kitchen and then opted to strangle her instead. So this means that the murder did not seem to be meticulously planned. And noting the specifics of Dana's injuries, the police believed that the perpetrator would have to be somebody that was extremely strong to have cracked her windpipe. And while there were some things that were missing from the scene, the belief was that Dana's murder was not motivated by robbery. And as far as the scene of Dana's body, she had been dragged about nine inches and had been left in this twisted, contorted position. Her pajama top had been pulled up over her breasts and her sweatpants had been slightly pulled down. And these facts drew other questions. You know, was this sexually motivated, an attempt to degrade or demean Really anything was possible at this point. Also, Dana's head was propped up on a pillow and covered with a blanket, which tells detectives that the person responsible was kind of taking care of Dana in a way, even after her death. So this could also possibly be an expression of remorse. For me, the most interesting sort of hypothesis they make is this whole idea about it not being planned because of the strangulation. Mm -hmm. Um, because it's true. It's like if it's first-degree murder, someone brings a weapon. And if it's someone who's like – they they passed over a block of knives to strangle them. You know, it's got to be like in the heat of some sort of 
altercation or argument or confrontation. And I think that's that's actually uh, really insightful in a way I haven't heard before. Yeah, that's interesting. And then also, I, I mean, the blanket thing is interesting because isn't it usually when somebody is covered, they know the person who killed them for the most part because Sometimes. it is such an intimate thing? It's considered that they're they are showing a level of care, uh, but you know, as far as the idea that um, this wasn't uh, first degree, Bundy didn't bring his own tools for the most part when he would go out. Uh, he would pick up stuff. You know, he picked up the log on the way. He, you know, so it's not. I understand where they're where they're going with that, especially when we, when we get into a couple other things further on down the road. But uh, I think with this. Saying that it is, it's an interesting case of how the body is laid there because, you know, um, and while a an attack doesn't necessarily have to be not sexually motivated if there hasn't been any kind of penetration, no, her clothes are still on. Why are they just pushed up like that? And uh, I have to think that that they swabbed everywhere. They tried to find whatever they could, but this is a head scratcher for them. Right. And this brings you to the next sort of possibility, which could be like a framing, right? Which we see a lot Mm. when people try to frame it as a different type of crime based on what profilers typically gravitate towards. So in this case, the, the pillow could be a very smart psychopath saying, okay, like, let me, let me falsify this care. So they'll look to someone close to her, you know, a smart enough criminal will... Uh, anticipate these sort of analyses by profilers and by law enforcement. Okay. So back to John. Now, this is the lens the police are looking through as they're sizing him up as a suspect. John was a new thread, and they were going to pull on it to see where it might lead them. They track him down, and here's his story. According to him, days after he slept with Dana, she called him and asked him if he was planning on telling Mike about their sexual encounter. And she was basically inferring that she did not want to tell Mike about what happened. What John said in response was that he would not lie to Mike about it if it came up. And it's worth mentioning by this point, he hadn't told Mike about it yet. So a few days passed and Dana called John again, and this time to ask him if he was going to a festival in Vancouver, British Columbia, and whether they could go together. A reminder, Vancouver is not terribly far from Puyallup. So she went back and forth often, and it's where both Mike and John lived. John told Dana that, yes, he was going, but he refused to go with Dana unless she came clean to Mike and told him about them sleeping together. So John presents this ultimatum, and Dana says, I don't want to go to this festival at all. So Dana wanted to see John, but not if it was going to rock the boat with Mike. I think this is really interesting because it kind of demonstrates a dynamic. If you read between the lines, right, we're seeing he's saying you tell Mike who's his best friend. So he's willing to blow up the friendship. He kind of wants to be with Dana. Why? Mm -hmm. Otherwise, he would be the one scrambling to hide it. Right. That. Yeah, that's it. That's sounds a very like a nightmare. Ugh. Nightmare. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Nightmare. Like constantly living anxiety. Ugh. I'd sooner die. But it does tell us something about the situation we're dealing with. This means that you can infer that John wanted to be with Dana and John knew that Mike wanted to be with Dana. So there's two men who have feelings for this woman. But I'm, again, speculating. The bottom line is that we actually don't know exactly how these men were feeling, how serious they were about Dana, and whether Mike at any certain point suspected that something was going on between his girlfriend, Dana, and his best friend, John. But here's what we do know. We know that John was hiding the affair from Mike. And here's also what we know about crimes of passion in general. They're very often fueled by feelings of jealousy, betrayal, and rage. And the fact that Dana ended up dead in the midst of this, you know, very elusive affair, and and also when we suspect possibly this affair partner, John, wanted to be with Dana – It really throws red flags up for law enforcement, as you can imagine. So from where police are standing, surely 
it would be these revelations that would lead to a crack in the case. There's no way that a woman is murdered randomly while this emotional turmoil is going on. Right. So detectives pressed John about his whereabouts on the day that Dana was killed. And he said that he was home alone until 4.30 p.m. on the 31st. And later that afternoon, he began running some errands with friends and he swung by Mike's place. And by this point, Mike was allegedly already completely freaking out over not being able to reach Dana for a few days. So obviously, the police would need to verify his account of events and see if he was where he said he was that day. Right. And let us remind you about where Mike said he was on the day of Dana's murder. He said, in fact, that he had been freaking out about Dana since the 29th. So he left Dana's house. He slept over on the 28th. The 29th, he got back to Vancouver, British Columbia. He called several times and couldn't reach her. Then the 30th came. He called several times and couldn't reach her. 31st came, and that was ultimately the day that Dana's body was found. But on the 30th, he had actually attempted to drive across the border, but he was stopped because he had a suspended license, and they didn't let him drive into the U.S. But detectives, when they were investigating Mike, speculated as to whether or not he could have gotten over the border anyway. There are ways to plan perfect crimes, and they wondered about him. They'd heard he was controlling, and there were several things that kind of threw up red flags about him, this affair being one of them. And they were doubtful that maybe, (laughs) I'm sure they were waiting to get the files, waiting to get the proof. They were doubtful of his account at first, but this did eventually check out. So according to court documents, John didn't come clean to Mike about the affair he was having with Dana until either the end of September or the beginning of November. So about a month after Dana's murder. Now, it's pretty shady to sit on that information when your friend's girlfriend has just been killed, right? I mean, I can't even imagine. I would absolve myself in case something, in case he found out right? not from me. I have me, to tell you something. I'd look yeah. like a murderer. Like, you, you'd, ha- it'd be the first, I'd, it's the first call I would make to be like, dude, this is going to look really bad. Yeah. And even just for himself, thinking about how he's going to look if somebody, if the police start looking into him and he was having this affair with this guy's girlfriend and then never said anything about it and kept it from him for a month. I mean, nothing looks shadier. Nothing looks shadier. Dude, imagine if Mike had found out from the police about the affair Mm -hmm. with John. And it's just like, yeah, of course, I'm shocked it took him that long, but Either way, let's get back to the investigation. So when John ultimately did talk to police, according to John, he afterwards told the police about this, that he told Mike about his affair with Dana and that Mike became enraged, furious, and he threw John out of his house. Mike was crushed and later told police that it was going to take a long time for him to trust John again. Normal reaction, no violence, nothing more. So crazy. So these guys are patching up their relationship and their friendship. But where are we in terms of the investigation? So it was now early in 2002 and months had passed since Dana's murder and all their leads were really starting to dry up. Dana's family was still devastated and they were looking for answers. And the police took the time and effort to interview and speak with each of them at length. So they speak to Dana's sister-in-law. Her name is Lori. And she'd actually been with Dana the day before her murder. They had gone shopping and Lori had dropped her off at home the evening that Dana was likely killed. And when asked about their relationship, Lori explained that the two of them, they're extremely close, but that Dana could, quote, act like a 17-year-old sometimes. And she noted that nothing else seemed really out of the ordinary with Dana. The detectives met with Dana's sister, Debbie Ross. Now, Debbie's significant because her daughter is Amanda Knott. Dana's 17-year-old niece, and they were extremely close. And Debbie confirmed the closeness of Dana and Amanda's relationship. Dana was the cool aunt that Amanda would hang out with. And Debbie even said that Amanda had done some experimenting with her aunt, including smoking weed with her. It's not clear based on the documents how Debbie felt about this info, but that was what was happening. And we also know that Dana opened her home to her niece Amanda's friends to hang out. So this was like the cool place to hang out. And so neighborhood kids would come because she had such a great relationship with her niece. Debbie said the same thing as Lori, the sister-in-law, though, that nothing was out of the ordinary with Dana. She was her normal, loving, happy self. 
prior to being killed. I took French in high school, and I was so excited that we were going to France for Jack's wedding so I could practice my French. And it was only when I got there I realized just how rusty I'd gotten. And I wanted to communicate in French with the locals there so badly. If you can relate to this experience, then Rosetta Stone is right for you. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program. You can choose from one of 25 languages like Spanish, French, Italian, German, Korean, Chinese, Japanese, Dutch, Arabic, and Polish. Fast-track your language acquisition with immersive lessons designed to teach you to pick up languages in a quick and natural way. Plus, with Rosetta Stone's true accent feature, you'll get feedback on how well you're pronouncing words. It's like having a personal trainer for your accent. Rosetta Stone is so convenient, and it can be used on your desktop computer or as an app, with audio companion and ability to download lessons offline. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, the first degree listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com first. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com first today. So if you're a super busy person and you don't have time to go to the gym, or maybe you just don't even want to go to the gym and work out in front of a bunch of different people, you need to check out the Aloe Moves app. I'm obsessed with this app. So it makes it easy to keep your wellness routine on track because they have everything in one place. There's yoga, there's Pilates, fitness classes, mindfulness, self-care tips, healthy recipes, and so much more. So either you're a beginner or you're an advanced person, Aloe Moves has the flow or class that will fit your schedule. Their classes range from five minutes to an hour, depending depending on what you're feeling that day. So even if you only have five minutes, you can just get some movement in. I used Aloe Moves all during the pandemic. It was amazing. Like I was on my yoga journey and I was obsessed with it. So you can find stress relief with meditations, affirmations, face yoga, gua sha, dry brushing, and journaling for those quiet moments, even if you don't really want to get a workout on. And when it comes to sleep, it's just important as fitness and nutrition, and they've got you covered with Aloe Moves. So unlock your personal wellness routine with Aloe Moves. Go to Aloe Moves com and use code FIRST for an exclusive 30-day free trial and enjoy 20% off an annual membership. That's allomoves.com, code FIRST, A-L-O-M-O-V-E-S.com, code FIRST. Okay, so listen, we are busy ladies over here on The First Degree, and when I have a moment of free time, I don't want to spend it grocery shopping. I want to spend it rotting on the couch and watching reality TV, and that is why I love Thrive Market. So Thrive Market is a go-to for all of my grocery and household essentials, and the convenience of getting everything online then quickly shipped to my doorstop is such a huge time saver. So Thrive Market carries brands with the highest quality ingredients and sourcing methods. They actually restrict hundreds of ingredients across their food and cleaning categories. So you can go on their website and use their filters to suit any of your lifestyle needs. If you're allergic to a certain ingredient, if you just don't want to have it in your life, that's why Thrive Market is so awesome. So whether you're looking for organic snacks for your kids or low sugar alternatives or gluten-free pantry essentials, you can curate your own shopping experience with just a few clicks. I love love this so much because I don't want to read every ingredient when I go to the grocery store. It's so easy to do it online, honestly, when I'm rotting on the couch. So join in on the savings with Thrive Market today and get 30% off your first order, plus a free $60 gift. Go to thrivemarket.com slash first for 30% off your first order, plus a free $60 gift. That's T-H-R-I-V-E market.com slash first. Thrivemarket.com slash first. Okay, so by this point, five months had passed since Dana's death, and the detectives actually decide to consult the FBI on certain aspects of this case in the hope that they could lend some insight on the type of criminal they could be looking for. Because this is an astonishing case in that I've never seen so many suspects that are so fruitless. You know, it, it's it's really amazing. So it doesn't surprise me that the detectives turned to FBI, which is the most sophisticated law enforcement agency that we have. But here's the thing. The FBI agents don't discover a ton, but they do say that they didn't believe that the murderer could be Stan, who was the husband of Dana, who she had recently separated from. And they looked at the case file. And you have to understand that they cleared Stan, right? I did air quotes. But they hadn't officially cleared Stan. Because while Stan had an alibi, he was on a fishing trip with the triplets, their shared triplets at the time of this murder, 
The location where they were was three hours away, so it was drivable. So it was possible he could have slipped out of a tent or cabin and gone to do this and gone back. They also found that Stan had a life insurance policy on Dana. So the cops wondered if Stan snuck out in the middle of the night to commit the perfect crime. But when the FBI looked at the file, they said no. They didn't believe that Stan was the type to plan and execute a premeditated murder without bringing a murder weapon. You wouldn't do this sort of thing. You wouldn't conspire to leave your sleeping children in a tent without a certain way of of having this done. And I think that's sort of fair. I think just based on human nature, if someone's going to be meticulous in all these other areas, they're probably going to be meticulous in this other important area. They also believe that if it had been Stan who had killed Dana, they more than likely would have seen injuries to her face, punching, which is typically what you see in like this rage-fueled domestic violence sort of murder where you see an assault that's intimate but bruises to the face is something they see almost all the time, according to them. And so the police are sitting with the FBI and they're throwing out literally anything that they can and nothing has worked so far. So they're trying to think outside of the box and they had an idea. Check the guest book from the mausoleum where Dana was laid to rest, which was kept at the Woodlawn Abbey Mausoleum. So in this book, those who visited Dana's crypt could write entries and express whatever thoughts they may be having about Dana at the time. So the investigators go to the mausoleum and they start flipping through this book and they see a whole lot of expressions of sorrow for the loss of Dana. There were several entries from Dana's boyfriend, Mike. There were entries from Dana's sister, Debbie. There were entries made by Dana's niece, Amanda. But there was one in particular that really caught their attention. This entry had been made on February 24th of 2002. And this is almost six months after Dana's murder. And Amanda wrote, quote, 37 days sober, it's all for you and me. I just wish that I was a better niece to you. So when the FBI consultants saw this message, they said that this was definitely an avenue that the detectives could pursue because this note from Amanda sounded like an expression of remorse. So maybe they needed to take a closer look at Amanda or at the very least, just speak with her again. Police met with Amanda, this time for a much more thorough interview. So they learned that Amanda had been reported as a runaway five times previously, so she didn't have a spotless record, but she was a kid. She was between 17 and 18 years old, and she did seem to be genuinely crushed about her aunt's murder. But is there a possibility, based on this insight they just got from the FBI, that Amanda could have done this? When asked, Amanda described her aunt as extremely caring the type of person who put the feelings of others first. And she added, though, that you could never really tell how she felt, how Dana felt. And she kept her own thoughts and feelings very close to the vest. Amanda admitted that her aunt did smoke weed sometimes, but recreationally it wasn't a big deal, and added that she never did any other drugs. And Amanda said that whenever she would run away from home, she could call Dana as somebody to really lean on. And she said that when Dana wasn't home, she and her friend Emily would let themselves into her house and they would do laundry and shower. In our first degree, Ian and Amanda were in the same friend group when they were in school. Amanda was really pretty. She was younger, like a year younger than us. But she hung out with more guys that I knew more when we used to go to raise and stuff. Really gregarious, um, outgoing. I can remember that. And nice, very easy to talk to. And she also hung out with guys that were older. They weren't the nicest guys, I guess. The best way to put it is, so it was only kind of dangerous if you talked to them, if they were around, because it, you know, threatened to beat you up or whatever. I didn't know that much about her. I know that she had a, like a rougher home life. Amanda was elusive, and the police didn't know what to make of her. They would keep an eye on her, but they didn't think that she was the cold-blooded killing type. But for now, the police talked to Amanda about the friends she would bring over to hang out at Dana's house. Now, remember, Dana was the cool aunt. She kept her house open for the kids and they would all come over. Now, Amanda said it was the same group of kids she would hang out with at the park. And they were the only ones who have had access and proximity and the opportunity 
to kill her Aunt Dana. And as our luck would have it, our first degree Ian was one of these kids who hung out at said park. When we were kids, they hang out at the park. At the time, there was a huge area where it was like a kid's pool in the summer, but people used it to skateboard, and there's benches around it, kind of like a circle. We skateboarded with a group of people. People called them the park rats. I know that Amanda had an aunt that was, and sometimes kids had gone with Amanda and smoked pot um, and probably drank, but I never heard anything bad about Dana. I never heard anything about her being malicious or anything. I think she was just a really kind person helping out her troubled niece, Amanda. And I'd run away at one point and, you know, not having a place to go is really scary. So having an adult who cares about you and provides a place for you to come is is a lifesaver. The park rats. Every town has them. And most of the time, they're harmless. They're just kids hanging out in a park. But the police were becoming more and more curious about this group of teens. Could any of them have had the physical strength needed and the motive to kill Dana? They asked Amanda this very question, and she immediately pointed to an acquaintance of hers named Lane. Lane Spears. Amanda even claimed that Lane had once attacked her after he made sexual advances towards her and that she rejected him. Amanda also said that he had seen scratches on Lane's arms following Dana's death. Lane had been at Dana's several times. He was the local weed dealer, and Amanda said he was very strong. I knew the name Lane from people who sold drugs. And I know that he was somebody that guys were able to get, like, bigger quantities of stuff, and then they would sell to kids our age. That's what I heard about him. There's always drugs involved. There's always, always, there's always guns and stuff. So Lane Spears. So what exactly was this guy's deal? So a simple background check on Spears reveals that he was currently under DOC supervision for conviction of drug manufacturing, delivering, and possession with intent. He also had charges of having an illegal firearm in his possession. Get this. This arrest and these charges were brought against Lane Spears only 10 days after Dana's death. Homicide, rather. Not only that, while it appeared that Spears was in jail, it turned out he'd actually escaped. So he's on the lam. And there were warrants out for his arrest. So obviously, if you're a cop in this situation, this is a months-old homicide. There are bright red flags waving in the air with this guy. They needed to talk to Lane Spears right now, but he literally could have been anywhere. So luckily, they didn't have to wait that long to figure out where he was because by the end of February of 2002, Lane Spears had been caught joyriding on the other side of the country in Georgia. Once he was in custody... Washington law enforcement filed to have him extradited. And get this, Lane Spears fought the extradition, and initially, he was successful. The detectives would have to wait to speak with him. So Puyallup law enforcement had their hands tied, at least for the time being. And having Spears extradited was going to take a while. So the best thing they could do until they had him in person was just to continue to investigate him as a possible suspect. If Spears did kill Dana, maybe he confided in a close friend. So law enforcement went to the local jail and they met with a guy named Mike Burroughs, who was friends with Lane Spears. He was friends with Amanda and pretty much friends with this whole little group who used to hang out at Dana's house. When it came to building a murder case against Lane Spears, Mike Burroughs was little help. In fact, he said that he knew Spears well and he was not a violent person. He just dealt drugs. He also said that while Spears is big, he wasn't very strong at all. Burroughs didn't believe Spears was capable of hurting anyone. And he hadn't heard any rumors about Spears killing Dana. However, Burroughs said that he had heard things through the grapevine. And he had a theory of his own about what happened. He said that since the beginning, he had an idea of who might have killed Dana. It was another one of their friends. That friend's name? Emily. 
Emily. So who the hell is this Emily person? We briefly learned about Emily in episode one. Emily Lauenborg was Amanda's 17-year-old best friend, and the two girls spent a lot of time at Dana's. But Emily was 5'4", 120 pounds, a tiny, tiny girl. And we have to remember the medical examiner made it a point to say whoever strangled Dana had to be very, dare I say, incredibly strong. So the detective hearing this from Mike Burroughs, they're skeptical. But Burroughs insisted. He tells them that Emily had literally been a weightlifting champion for two years in a row prior to Dana's murder that she was able to beat several guys in their friend group in arm wrestling contests. And Burroughs heard a rumor that Dana had kicked Emily and Amanda out of Dana's house at some point, and that pissed Emily off so much that afterwards she went back and killed Dana. And here's where first degree really enters the picture. Ian was good friends with Emily. I actually met her in seventh grade. I saw her pretty regularly throughout high school and junior high. Emily, I feel, when I was friends with her, she was nice to me, but she's definitely a party person. She was hanging out with guys that were much older than us, even when she was younger. She was blonde, blue eyes, and just a kind of, not generic, she was a pretty white girl. Our group of friends was a poor group of people, and Emily was always kind of like on the edge. If, if somebody was smoking pot, she'd already smoked mess or something, you know? And... That was something about her that was always kind of foreign to me, like hanging out with these really older people. I didn't have the best home life, but I never was like into any crazy criminal activity or hanging out with people that were stealing stuff from people, things like that. But on the other side, too, we were pretty close. She would always talk to me about things. Some of the guys she hung out with were my brother's friends, so I know she hung out with a lot of bad people, but I also like still was friends with her because she's always nice to me. And what about Mike Burroughs' claims that Emily was a freakishly strong weightlifting champion? I know she did sports, and she was built. She was shorter, definitely stronger. She had, like, muscle tone. I don't think she worked out. She would get in fights, and if somebody said something to her, like, she would punch me in the face instead of, like, grabbing hair or something like that. She had a short temper. She didn't want to put up with anybody's shit, I guess. Kind of the group of people she hung out with were, like, kind of want to be gangsters, selling drugs, robbing people, stuff like that. Okay, so Emily is strong, but is she a killer? Let's get back to Mike Burroughs and what he's telling the detectives. Could there actually be something to this? And if so, what motive could Emily possibly have in killing her friend's aunt? Emily as a suspect was a true plot twist. Because interestingly, prior to this moment, Lane Spears was looking really good as the guy who could have done this. But Burroughs' account was really throwing a wrench in their new direction. But luckily for detectives, Spears and Emily had many of the same friends. So they could conduct interviews and do some recon on both of them as possible suspects. By this point, it had been more than a year of searching for Dana's killer. And the police had ruled out several suspects. Dana's husband, Stan, her boyfriend, Mike, her lover, John, and that stalker, Patrick. Now they were moving through this friend group, and they were able to eliminate Lane Spears from the suspect list as well. But with each conversation, another suspect was coming into focus. That of a disturbed and troubled psychopath, masquerading as a little blonde 17-year-old girl. The police had rumors, innuendo and hearsay testimony about Emily and about Amanda. And the tidbits of information they were learning about Emily and Amanda's relationship were both fascinating and confusing, but most importantly, glaring. They learned that there had actually been a rift between Emily and Amanda after Dana's death. They learned that once upon a time, there was actually more between Amanda and Emily than just friendship. Apparently, there had been a romantic or sexual relationship between them as well. They had been kicked out of their hangout spot by Dana. Was this enough to kill her? And if it was, was the perpetrator Emily, Amanda, or both of them? For those answers, you'll need to hang tight until next week. And you will be shocked by the answers as we take you through the conclusion of our three-part series on the case of Dana Laskowski. 
Well, a huge thanks to Ian for last week, this week, and in advance for next week, where his connection to this complex case really does come front and center. Now, if you're listening out there and you think that you have a story to tell, no story is too small. You can email us at hello at the first degree podcast.com. Please follow us on Instagram. We are 100 followers away from 20,000. Follow First Degree, follow Alexis Linkletter, follow Billy Jensen, Jack Vanek. Join our Facebook group. We're talking true crime all the time. And after this week, we're going to be talking Temptation Island all the time. And stick around because we're going to kill some time. And remember, only you can prevent serial killers and keep your friends close. But not, not that, that close. Happy Mario Lopez Day. Happy Mario Lopez Day. I love your dimples, Mario. <laughs> He's hot. Peace. So beefy. Ooh. Tube steak. Okay. Bye. (laughs) Shout out to Jared Monaco for creating original music and doing all the sound design. We love you, Jared. Producing team, Caitlin Cleveland, Taylor Rogers, and Alan Santiago for Podcast One. Very few sources for this episode, but they do include court documents, Ancestry.com, NBC News, and as always, our first three guests is always our largest source. Everybody loves a good family mystery, especially one with as many twists and turns as June's Journey, a hidden object mystery game with a captivating detective story. So it's going to take you back to the glamour of the 1920s with a diverse cast of characters. I'm really feeling this because Lex and I both are really like into Gatsby stuff right now. So I am loving the vibe of this game. And you're going to step into the role as June Parker and search for hidden clues to uncover the mystery of her sister's murder. It's perfect for all of the firsties out there. There's mystery, danger, and romance as you search for hidden objects from the parlors of New York to the sidewalks of Paris. And you can customize your very own luxuries a state island. Think expansive gardens and beautiful buildings and collect scraps of information to fill your photo album and learn more about each character. Can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. June needs your help, detective. Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Fuel up fast with Factor's restaurant quality meals that are ready to heat and eat whenever you are. No prepping, no cooking, or cleanup needed. There's over 35 different options to choose from every week, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. And there are more than 60 add ons to help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. Discover a wide variety of easy options for the entire day, like breakfast, midday bites, and more. Get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. Get started today and get after your goals. Plus, Factor is less expensive than takeout, and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. For me, I was really struggling to get enough protein. I always do. But Factor's meals are protein-packed, and they're so good. And it's so easy when I'm slammed busy working in the middle of the day to just have lunch right there, not needing to do anything, except heat it up. Head to factormeals.com slash firstdegree50 and use code DEGREE50 to get 50% off. That's code DEGREE50 at factormeals.com slash firstdegree50 to get 50% off. Okay, well, welcome to yet another episode of Killing Time. Did you like that? It's a beautiful. I like that. That was very harmonic. Very gorgeous. Okay, so for today's episode of Killing Time, we were really discussing last week a new show that we are all deciding to watch as a group. It's a show that is has nothing to do with true crime. It is trashy reality TV at its prime, and it is the show Temptation Island. Now, <laughs> this season of Temptation Island is the first that all three of us have ever watched, though I because I know it used to be around in like the early 2000s and then had a reboot, but we just decided to jump right in because my mom has always told me it's the best dating reality show in existence. So right. we jumped in. What are our initial thoughts? Because we really do, number one, want to get all the firsties to watch it because it's fantastic. My initial Um, thoughts are, I actually did watch, I watched the first go around of it. 
I know oh, you, you did. Were, you both were in high school or something, but uh, yes. yeah. Um, so I, I was watching. You know, I uh, I cranked it up. Uh, no DVR. I was watching it when it actually came on. And I remember specifically they had rules and the rules were the so they didn't seem so the producers didn't seem like they were heartless. The couples couldn't have children. So that was like a big thing. Like, yeah. So like the kids aren't sitting at home saying, what's mommy and daddy doing? (laughs) And um, and, you know, it was a decent show. But between then and now. They really ratcheted up because they've been able to learn from all the other shows. They've been mm. able to learn from Love Island and, um, you know, all all of the, the the trashy TV that has come out. So it's a lot better this time around. Have they ever had somebody like they don't have married couples? It's only people that are dating, right? I guess yes. like ripping apart a marriage is is also a little bit. Heartless. I don't think it would be ripping apart a marriage. They they apply to be on the show. They're coming on for a reason. Like I don't think that yeah, you can blame producers for coaxing two people into putting themselves through this kind of hell. Like they're masochists. Yeah. Because what I was going to say yeah. about this show is that I would cry every thirty seconds. <laughs> I would be crying literally the entire time. I would never be able to compartmentalize and have fun. I'd be thinking about spiraling about whether I was making the right decision, whether I was blowing up an amazing thing, what they were doing. It's so not my bag. I It's so well, not for me. <laughs> but it is unless you were. Okay, so there is a couple that goes on and their situation is this girl, she's younger. I think she's in her early 20s. She was an athlete and then always dated all these athletes. And she thought she was, I think she thought she was really cool for dating all these athletes. And now her current boyfriend is kind of this introverted, a little bit quiet, probably a really fucking great guy that really likes her and is unproblematic. And then now she's like, I don't think I like him. So I'm going to go on Temptation Island so I can fuck around with all these other idiots while your poor, poor boyfriend is crying while you're just living your life. Yeah, because right. and it, she you did, know what? She and, did couple up with that soccer player. Yeah. And then yep. as soon as it happened and then but then she started to regret it. She's like, maybe I'm the problem. Maybe I'm pushing away a good thing. So it was sort of like this forced yeah, reflection in this forced introspection that I do think is is the purpose of the show. I think the producers are like, boring, like do a jello shot <laughs> off his body. Like this introspection and the self-actualization isn't what we're here for. We're here for the bad girls club moments, right? Yes. But I did appreciate that she actually was, she, she was having these come to Jesus moments as intended. You know, that's why she was going Very on early show. on. Yes. Very early on. But like, I have a feeling... Listen, when you're that young, I've I've done that before. And sometimes you just keep getting roped back into the douchebags that treat you like shit over and over and over again until you can't take it no more. And then you end up with a really perfect partner. But it takes handsome, a handsome ginger prince, if you will. <laughs> a ginger prince. Jared's sitting next to me. I said um, handsome, Jared. Handsome ginger prince. He, he blew her a kiss. You can hear me, right? No, okay, but yeah. like, I don't, 24 is not the age that you wise up. I think no. You, no. she needs another at least five years to be like, oh, I shouldn't continue to keep dating athletes because they're all, for the most part, like musicians, garbage. Yeah. Well, and early, they're also, early she's dating 30s, like a short. Early 30s is when you wise up, guys. I'm just telling you, early 30-ish is when you <laughs> become the person you're meant to be. Maybe mid-30s. Maybe mid Trust that person. And she's dating stage. like a sh- she's dating like a shortstop from the Marlins. It's not Who like is? she's dating like... I don't even know what the Marlins <laughs> is. Wait, exactly. What are you, it's, the, you, it's the Florida baseball wait, team. what are you talking so about? So it's just like... I'm talking about that the girl that, in the show. That girl. There's just like bragging about the, the athletes that she dated before. Oh, in the past. And it's not like she's she's not dating LeBron. She's not dating you know guys that are making uh you know high you know seven eight figures. You know what she's she's dating guys that are like the shortstop for the Marlins. Well, the reason and- why it matters her she's <laughs> but she's an she's an athlete, and that's why it right. matters. And he was just well, like also- they have something to bond over. And the casting was like, we're got to get some pro athletes in here. So they got pro athletes in order to tempt her. 
And then just like clockwork, she fucking picked him. Went right there. Right God, there. It's like you're so simple, you know? That it's would like, be I, like if they threw they threw me in with Jared and then they threw another musician right in. I'd be like a, me, a ginger mu- a ginger him. musician. <laughs> there aren't many. Yeah. <laughs> He's one of I the only Axel Rose. I but we were joking her no. we were oh go ahead, Alexis. No, go ahead. No, I was saying we're joking in our group chat about like how do you have this conversation to with with your partner to be like we should go on Temptation Island because it really is why would anybody sign up for something like this? Why would I, you put yourself into this situation at all unless and I think I truly think that the couples that they have on that show I I think are real couples and seem to love each other. Mm. And they all, do you think that people are are faking it? Here's the conversation. The conversation is I don't have enough Instagram followers. What do I need to do? Okay. Can we please go on temptation Island? There's even, there's a lot of buzz about one of the couples just being completely fake right now. No, really, the casting process would be so rigorous. Like I disagree. I don't think they would actually allow that. Because if there was ever some variety piece or some expose, like you can't do fake stuff in t- Billy, you you work in unscripted TV. We can't fake <laughs> anything. So it's like we work the- in murder. We don't work in some jerk offs that are trying no, to like, no, get a like, bunch of Instagram but, followers. But still, they and- can't false advertise like that. Like a show, like even unscripted shows, even trashy dating shows, they have that kind of integrity because if it got out, it would undermine the show That's and true. it's worth billions yeah. of dollars. I, mm. I don't believe that those they're fake couples. I believe that there are couples that are like, we're not in love anymore. Let's make the most of this. That's what I think. Yeah, mm. yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, like, hey, we're gonna so we were gonna paper ver- trail. We're breaking out amic. We're breaking up amicably, but do we want to go try to do this? Because you couldn't do this in a mm-hmm. contentious breakup, but you could do it in an amicable breakup. Amicable breakup. Yeah, that's true. No, that I, I mean, agree with. Maybe that. Wait, which couple did they say was faking it? I don't know. I'd have to look it up. It's not oh. the. Uh, my favorite couple, which is that meathead guy, who I think is great. The meathead guy has cheated on his girlfriend two times. And I know. She took, I'm like, girl, what? Twice? Like, that's the thing. If they've been together 11 years or something crazy or eight years, nine years, well, I can't remember. Well, since they were like 13 or something I like know, that. but like, it's one thing if they're having an affair. And they're still and young. No, once. They're still young. They've been together for like 11 years, but then they're still like in their mid-20s. They're 24. Again, yeah. you still, you haven't had your, your return to Saturn. You haven't had your, your moment of growth because you're mm. still super young this is on screen rant some fans uh of temptation Island are speculating that thomas and chelsea thomas is the guy with the beard (gasps) and chelsea Um, is the girl with the short brown hair yes they saying that they are not a real couple chelsea loves scuba diving and skiing yeah she does no snowboarding scuba diving (laughs) oh snowboarding snowboarding but this Theirs was the one that I was thinking about. I'm like, how, what the fuck was this conversation? Because she obviously has some issues with past relationships that she uh, has trust issues and jealousy issues and stuff like that. But their thing was he can't go and he's flirting with all these other women in front of her and she can't handle it. Is it like, the one who got mad though during the strip tease, like musical chairs thing, where he was like, "I'm, I don't plan to leave single. Like, I plan to leave with my girlfriend." Like, he got like pissed at one of the girls, um, yeah, and mm-hmm. had like a he like kind of snapped at her and was like, "I'm planning to leave with my girlfriend." Like, and that seemed real to me. I know <laughs> that's there. They seem real, and also her, her like anxiety about thinking about her partner leaving her or cheating on her or whatever it's palpable you know so that's you think real. they were as a were, woman watching her you're like i feel this I've, through the tv screen I've been so they were acting they were acting yeah. real no, because on thomas's linkedin account he <laughs> describes himself as a bi-coastal film and television actor and chelsea also says quote she's a bi-coastal commercial film and television actor wait they're, they're both, actors they're both bi-coastal no film and television no. actors See, on their linkedin this, profiles this seems like a this seems like somebody's made that screenshot up that's too easy I, I, this seems what like what they gotten. this seems like know. something they decided to pursue after the show and they just change your, their shit to be that. They're like, maybe I'll get the role of a lifetime. That's not really how it works, Chelsea and Thomas, but good luck to you in your acting um, debuts. 
I don't think anybody's gotten the role of a lifetime after being on a shitty, shitty reality TV show. But Justin Guarini. Justin, but that was a singing competition. I know, and now he's the voice of Dr. Pepper, so you just don't he you never is? know. He is? He's the little pepper guy, isn't he? I don't know if I've ever seen what did the you, body of Dr. Pepper did you looks literally, like. He's little sweet. Did you literally just make that up? Like, did you literally make that up? That seems like such a ridiculous fabrication. That, number one, <laughs> I am Justin saving Guarini that fun fact. Is little Dr. Pepper. Like that. What is what is who is little Dr. Pepper? Is he a little fan of Dr. Pepper? Is it a cartoon? Is it little like Pepper? What is this? Yes. He began appearing <laughs> in TV commercials as Lil Sweet, a character used to advertise the diet Dr. Pepper soft drink. Wait, no. So he's not the voice. He's also the body of Dr. Pepper. <laughs> like he's not voicing a he's not voicing a cartoon. Wait, no, he's, he's acting. It's not like, like a that's him. Yeah, yeah, that's him. Yes, but Billy, that's Lil just a, a, that's a role he's playing. I thought you meant he was like elusive in the character of like who could the voice of Dr. Pepper be? And people are putting it together because they loved no, him on American Idol. This is Idol. not a reality show about who the voice of Dr. Pepper is, like the mass singer. I have something, we all know. I have something just impromptu that we could bring up that's sort of in the same vein. All right. You okay. see these these drinks? Bubbly, yeah. Have you guys seen Bubbly? the commercials with Michael Bublé? Yes. It's I mean how, how brilliant. Is that marketing <laughs> that they got him? They have him in a in a warehouse changing the Y's to E's with the accent over it, <laughs> like the accento over it. I'm just like, this is so funny. Like they're well, it's, it's hard. It's hard to put out a. I feel like it's hard if you have a good idea and you're trying to work to decide what a commercial will be to actually get it through enough layers of people to accept it because that's so genius. And it's so snarky that I can't believe it made it through. Well, because all the things had to align. Like, he had to be not partnered with any other beverages, I'm sure. There's a non-compete. Like, all the stars had to align for that to happen. And you know whoever at the ad agency's idea that was is, like, got promoted for for packaging that and pulling it off. But anyways, bubbly water is the best cherry flavor. Sorry for the sidebar. It is pretty good. LaCroix is also good. But um, yeah, I don't know. Do we have anything else to add for Temptation Island? Yeah. Um, no. If you value your relationship, don't go on that show. Yeah. If you cry it's, easily, just, don't go on that show. I would cry literally the entire time. Even if you were the one that like somehow convinced your partner to go on it. You would still I mean, I know that there's probably a sense of guilt no matter what. Even if, unless you're a psychopath, which probably some of these people are. I mean, Dude, definitely narcissistic personalities on there. When we first would see the girls who are there to date the guys, I would project all of my insecurities onto all of them. And I'd start spiraling in self-loathing, in fear. And it just looks like hell for anyone who's a deeply sensitive feeler and thinker. <laughs> I have a question. I have a question. Okay. Would it hurt more if you, so you go on the show with your partner and it's time for them to pick the first date. Now, does it hurt more if they pick a date with somebody that looks, that looks like you or mm. somebody that is a completely different vibe from you? That's a really good question. I think Which it hurts sucks more. If more? They, I think it sucks more if they look like you because yeah. if they go in the, on the other end of the spectrum, you could be like, they're trying something new. Mm-hmm. If they yeah. look like you, it's a replacement. And then also, if they look like you, if you're like Alexis and I, and you like hate yourself so much, all you'll do is compare the things that look like the other person that are worse. And you're like, God damn it! I'll be like, her She's knees, like me, but her hotter. knees are stunning, and my knees are like, I don't know what you call it, but not. You'd like be like, hers. her her hands are a little <laughs> less sausagey than mine. Well, that's a given. I'll have to wear <laughs> fuck fancy summer gloves on that kind of show. I'll have to wear like... What about you, Billy? I would say the same thing, exactly what Alexis said. Somebody that looked like you, because that would seem like it was a replacement. Oh. Yeah. Night Dagger twist. Heart. 
Mm-hmm. Knife twisted. Well, um, everybody go watch watch Temptation Island and uh, analyze everything with us. I think that should be a new uh, conversation on our Facebook page. You know, we talk about yes. all the murders, all the murders, and then like a tempta- Temptation Island chat at the end. All right. Well, we killed enough time. 1606. Beep, beep. <laughs> <laughs> We're trying to catch The Bachelor. Addiction plays hardball. He would hit me with these verbal attacks. I just said to him, I love you so much. You're such an amazing person. I can't take this ride anymore. It was the fact that dad made that sentiment and broke down. And years later, he told me it had a huge impact on him. Sometimes doing what's right for your loved one is the hardest thing to do. Karen is that right thing. Visit caron.org slash lost.